I'll just introduce Gary so when he does want to get up and speak later on, he doesn't need to introduce himself. We met, we worked it out the other day, 23 years ago. It was quite a story really because uh, I was at uh, Elam Bible College at the time. I was sent up on a, sent out on a week's mission and one of the things we did was we were asked to speak in a little chapel service at Teen Challenge. Gary was on the program in rehab in Teen Challenge back in South Wales all those years ago and I was sharing a room with a guy who just snored so badly. I snore. I'm a real hypocrite because I hate snoring, even though I do it myself, and I couldn't sleep. And in the end, I was getting really angry. It was like 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. And I thought, you know what I mean? I've got to speak in this chapel tomorrow morning. Only 10 minutes, but I thought, let's just go downstairs. I'm not sleeping. And in the stillness of the night, and this doesn't happen that often in my life, but in the stillness of the night, it was like the Lord said in, in my heart, there's a guy there tomorrow whose problem isn't so much addiction, as in just physical addiction, but it's a problem in the mind. And gave me a verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, the one who calls you is faith, you know, uh, he'll present your whole body, soul, mind, and spirit, blameless, on the day of his coming. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. I went to the chapel the next morning, and, you know, with a sort of boldness that only comes when you feel like God has spoke to you in the middle of the night, and I said, I don't often do this, but I think there's one guy here today who really needs to hear this message. Hopefully the word of God's applicable for everybody at all times, but one guy specifically, and spoke a little message. Gary came up to me afterwards and he said, I'm that person. I was reading that um, passage this morning, so on and so on. And uh, we met, and it was quite a little connection. Meeting Gary, I don't know, I just uh, liked the guy right from the beginning. And I thought, I'd love to work in this place. And I thought, I bet they never get jobs here. And then I went back to Cornwall a week later. Somebody gave me a magazine. Oh, they're looking for staff up there. And we went up and worked there to me. Where I went and worked there. Uh, got to know Gary a lot better. 23 years. Been through a lot of stuff, both of us. Up and down. Been very good friends. And um, been through a lot together. But, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing Gary speak. Um, there's a verse in the Bible that says, The kingdom of God advances forcefully, and forceful men lay hold of it. He's about the most forceful man I've ever met in terms of evangelism. So uh, we pray for Gary now that when he comes up later on, it'll be such a blessing and there'll be great power in the Holy Spirit. Father God, we thank you for Gary. Thank you for what he's done in what you've done in his life. Oh God, thank you for friendship. Thank you for longevity. 23 years. We it hit us both this week. What comes with time is very precious. And Lord, I pray, oh God, today that you will use him in great power, Lord, to see the pulling down of strongholds, Lord, over our lives in this place, oh God, where we're bound, where we're not free. Lord, your word says it was for freedom that Christ has set us free, no longer to be subject to a yoke of slavery. And Lord, we're ongoing, moving from one degree of glory to the next. And it's been a pleasure and a privilege to see you change, Gary, bit by bit over 23 years, oh God, with some huge, significant turns along the way. And Lord, if you're willing today, well, I believe you're willing. If people are willing today, we pray that there might be significant changes over people's lives, even over this church today as a result of Gary coming here today. Bless him abundantly, we pray. Bless us abundantly. We thank you, O oh God, that you're a generous God, longing to pour blessing out on people. And Lord, we want to position ourselves, O oh God, today. In hunger, and as Becky said, as we draw near to you, your promise is you will draw near to us. Help us, O oh God, put a hunger in our hearts, put a desire, and put a fire in Gary's belly, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And we look forward to hearing from Gary. Morning. Um, I hope you can hear me all right. Um, my name's Gary, and I originally come from a place called Larn in Northern Ireland. I just want to say one thing, you know. See, up until a year ago, life was so hard, man. Life, life was really, really difficult. And I became a Christian. I became a Christian in a prison in different prisons, I tried to want, I want my life to change. You know what? I had so much emotional and so much mental baggage that it was hard to trust anybody. Never, you know, never mind somebody that I couldn't see. 
and I get set free a year ago, and I've never, I've never experienced life like it in my life. Do you know what I mean? Never, never, ever experienced it. And do you know what I said to somebody the other week? You see, if I die this morning, and I don't care if I die, I have achieved in life what I wanted to achieve. John 8, verse 32 says this, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. I've come to set you free. And you know, I can stand up here this morning. I didn't write this down or didn't put it down, but I can stand up here this morning and say, I am free, free indeed. And I'm going to share some stuff that will hopefully, I don't know who you are sitting in here. I know a number of people sitting in here, but I don't know everybody. But you know something? See, when I was sitting at that cross there, and I was listening to that, that song, and I love that song because I, I was playing it this morning. It's funny, because I was playing this song this morning at four o'clock. Half the times I could never get out of my bed with depression. You know, I lived in depression. I lived in alcoholism. I was a binge drinker. I was all sorts of stuff, but I was broke inside. And at 4.44 this morning, and I want to thank Mark and Broman, man. What, what hosts, you know what I mean? Fantastic hosts. I know that Mark has been... A fantastic friend for 23 years, man, and, and I'll put him through some crap, like. But, but you know what? He is a friend that any man or woman needs because he's challenged me. He's loved me. He's walked away from me. He's done what a friend does. And that's, that's a true friend. And he's got a beautiful wife who is one of the most fantastic cooks I've ever met in my life. Um, <laughs> when I tried to put this shirt on this morning... Man, I thought I knew when I got into that there. I had to do 150 press-ups, you know, just to get back into it. But um, no, I'm only joking about that because I, I can do 43, but not 150. <laughs> not 150. But at 4.44 this morning, I was in the kitchen. And uh, I'd woke up at, I woke up at 11, 11 minutes past four, and I was wide awake. And I thought, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to tweak. And Mark says, I, I said the word, I'm going to twerk my sermon. And twerks a dance. And I use good dancers in here. But I meant I was going to tweak it. But anyway, I got up and I was praising God and was doing different things. And I came down the stairs for a cup of tea. And by the way, for any of you guys out there, I'm standing up here today, right? God set me free from alcohol two years ago. I've never touched a drop since it. But I still smoke cigarettes. Do you know what? I always say to people, and, and it's not the fact that I'm wanting to tell people I still smoke cigarettes. God hasn't convicted me of it yet. It's the only thing that I do. I'm shutting up there. Anyway, <laughs> I enjoy a cigarette. So at 4.44 this morning, I went out marking, marking Bronwyn's back with a cup of tea and a cigarette. And as I walked forward, a twig poked me in the eye. I thought, who do you think you are, man? Do you want a, do you want a fair dig? <laughs> I didn't think that. You know what came to my mind was this. See, the Word of God says... Um, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. That it cuts through the bone. And what's underneath the bone? Marrow. And it goes straight to the point. And the point was, that point went into my eye. The question, before I read the word of God, the question I want to ask people in here this morning, are you, I don't care how long you've went to church, I, I'm not interested if you're a theologian. I'm far from a theologian. See, when I left school, I left with a teacher's wallet. That's all I left with. <laughs> and they'd just get paid too, so it was quite nice. In fact, my wallet's empty. Anybody like to fill it? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, I'm only joking about that. But I did. I le we left with a teacher's wallet. Um, that's what I left school with. I'm not, I'm not learned in anything. I'm not, I'm not taught in theology. But one thing I am taught in is life's experience. And... I was not a willing participant for my life to be changed for many, many years as a Christian. And the question I want to ask you all this morning, and I asked the question, I don't care how long you've went to church, I don't care if you went for two months or if you went for 22 years, what's in your heart today? You know, we stand up and we sing songs, and I've done, done it for 20 years, i sung songs, but you know what? I knew I didn't believe them. I worked in the motorways years ago. And it was AM65 near Preston. And as I was walking up this hill, the motorway hadn't been built. It was just a dust track. And it was half seven in the morning. And I heard, 
I could go on to another story, story after story. I'm not going to divert. But I heard when I was walking up this morning, I heard a, a voice in my heart say, from dust to dust, you've got to trust. From dust to dust, you've got to trust. Are you willing participants to trust in the true and living God who can give you life? Who can, and I'm going to share the life that I tried to get through all sorts of different things. But when I got through life, it was when I surrendered this brick that's now a flesh, heart. When I surrendered that to God, freedom came. I'm going to read from the Word of God. In fact, you know what? I need my glasses because I can't see without them. That's an age thing. Do you ever get that problem, love? Aye. <laughs> Knowing you're from Donegal, you probably do, don't you? Uh, I'm going to read from the Word of God, and I don't know if they're going to put it up through the VT. That's it. It may be different from my Bible, because I read from the Life Application Study Bible. The, I was going to say the NIV, the Northern Ireland version, but that's an old, <laughs> old joke. But this is the New Living Translation. New Living, that's what it's all about, New Living. It's about freedom. Jake, do you like them glasses, mate? Anyway, here we go. Then the angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Satan was there at the angel's right hand, accusing Jeshua of many things. And the Lord says to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you, This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. I'm going to keep on reading, but I'm thirsty. So there's no point in having a dry mouth, is there, and struggling. Oh, that wasn't your water, John, was it? Because I've got a cold sore, so I don't want you to drink (laughs) anything. Joshua's, or just Jesus, listen, you have to forgive me because I'm Northern Irish, and sometimes my pronunciation of names is different from yours. But you'll know what I mean in a minute. Uh, Jeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the others standing there, Take off your filthy clothes. You know, somebody gave a prophecy in here this morning, or a prophetic word. Somebody's wearing a black jacket, and it's heavy. Do you know what the, do you know what the name of my sermon is? Take off your filthy garments. Who's the, who's the man or the woman wearing a big black jacket? God's after you. Don't leave this place this morning without being a willing, a willing. Do you hear the word willing? A willing participant. Then I says, please could he also have a clean turban on his head? I could do what one of them. Look at that. See, on a sunny day when I'm at work, I love to dazzle my workmates. <laughs> Big Gary Dazzle. That's what they call me with that baldy patch. Then I says, please, I could he also have a clean turban on his head? So they put a they put a clean priestly turban on his head and dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord spoke very solemnly to Jeshua and said, this is what the Lord Almighty says, if you, if you, if you are a willing participant and follow my ways and obey my requirements, then you will be given authority over my temple and its courtyards. I will let you walk in and out of my presence along with these others standing here. I'm going to read this again, right? But I'm going to put different names on it. Then the angel showed me Gary. Gary McCormick is a high priest only because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing that I've done. I am a sinner. I was born a sinner. You know, when you listen to that song, I was born into sin. But there was only one answer to take me from that sin. And that's when Jesus Christ hung on the cross. God sent his only son. God came in human form. And he hung on a cross. He created. In fact, I was talking to Tim there this morning on the way here. And, 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 and uh, one of the statement was this. A leopard cannot never lose his spots. A leopard can never lose his spots. And that's true. A leopard can't lose his spots. But the creator of the leopard can take the spots off it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You cannot take your own garments off, but the Creator can take your garments off. 
if the creator can take the spots off a, a leopard, he can take the black jacket off whoever's wearing it this morning. I hope that person who's wearing the black jacket is a willing participant. Then the angel showed me Gary, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Satan was there. For those that are not Christians, Satan is a fallen angel. He was one of God's angels. But you know what? He thought he was bigger and better than God. Sometimes Christians think that. Sometimes Christians think they're bigger than better than God. From different aspects in their life. Business, all sorts of things. I'm saying the word business because sometimes we become workaholics. And do you know why we become workaholics? Because we're avoiding the real issues. You see, when I said that, when I got a poke in the eye this morning, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts right to the bone and the marrow. But you know what? It goes right to the point. What are you avoiding? What are we? I'm not going to say what are you avoiding. What are we avoiding in our lives? That we're afraid to bend the knee to the truth. As I said to you earlier, I live 40, I'll be 49 on the 12th of March. I've probably lived in freedom now, pure freedom. I'm still making mistakes, by the way, but the sense of freedom, not even the sense, the known of freedom. Listen, I would never have went on my knees ever in my life and cried my eyes out. When I was worshipping God there this morning, all I done was cry. No, I'm not crying because of pain. I was thinking of the past. I was thinking how hard it was. But you know what? I was also thinking, what a privilege it is to stand here this morning as an ambassador of the living God. What a privilege. Listen, I've done all sorts as a Christian. All sorts as a Christian. I should never have the right to be up here. I should be in hell. But you know what? I follow a God that's full of grace and mercy. And so do you. You're no different from me. I'm no different from you. I'm not special. We're all special. He's seen you when you were made in your mother's womb. He knows the day's planned for you. But sometimes we have to get onto the train track. Do you know them old-fashioned train track things? Where you push up and down. There's no engine in this like. Start getting the muscles moving. Up and down. God wants us on the train track. God's Jesus is at one side and we're at the other. And Jesus is saying, come on, son, you can do it. Come on, love. Come on, daughter. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. But we have to be willing. That's a big word this morning. Willingness. I'm talking to everybody in here. I'm not just talking to Tom, Dick, or Sheila. I'm talking to everybody. Because it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter whether you're a pastor. It doesn't matter whether you're just a, 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 you're a leader or you're a follower. Do you know something? I remember being at Teen Challenge and they had... And this is not knocking it. This is not knocking it, by the way. But see what I've learned in the last year or what God is learning me. I remember being at, at, at Teen Challenge and they had evangelism school in it. You know the best... See the best evangelism school I, I, I've attended? It's a heart surrendered unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you know what? I work in... I, I, I get a job in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the oil industry. And I'm in probably the dirtiest job in it. We do the environmental stuff, any spills or anything, and all power washing and stuff like that there. But you know what? My nickname in that job is Ned Flanders. Now, I don't know if any of you watch Bart Simpson, but Ned Flanders is the mad evangelical happy Christian that lives next door to him. I hadn't a clue who he was because I, I don't like Bart Simpson. I live with a guy in, uh, in Henniot, and he done my boxing because all he ever did was watch Bart Simpson. I felt like kicking the TV every time I come in because all he was doing was watching Bart Simpson. And I don't like it because it's not my humour, if you know what I mean. But anyway, Ned Flanders, they, they put it up in my locker. And I knew who it was that done it. But we have a laugh, you know what I mean? I give them as much banter as they give me. And I went home and I googled it. Ned Flanders, and then I put it up on YouTube. I thought, who does, what does he look like? So he came up and he had ginger hair and I thought, I don't like it. I don't mind being called Ned Flanders, but I don't have ginger. I've got grey hair now. That's why it's just short. But I had dark hair. But you know something? It's fantastic. Because this is what I call it. And I was talking about evangelism there. Unnatural evangelism. Everywhere I go now. And I'm not just saying this here. This is God at work. I don't even have to do anything. The people come and, I get, and we get talking about the Lord. We get talking about Christianity. I, 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 see the conversations I had yesterday? These are friends that God brought into my life. 
I used to be drinking partners with them. And it's amazing. Anyway, I'm diverting the game here. Half 11. Ooh. What time do you want to stop at? What? And we'll read this scripture again. Before the angel of the Lord, right, that's me, I'm standing before the angel of the Lord. I'm standing before the Lord with the angel beside me. Satan, the devil, was there at the angel's right hand, accusing Gary of many things. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord said to the devil, I, the Lord, reject your accusations. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Every one of us in here this morning that have Christ in our heart have all been born in sticks that's been snatched from the fire. Gary's cloven was filthy. Gary's, the other word for cloven, Gary's sin was filthy. He stood before the angel. So the angel said to the others standing there, take off your filthy clothes. And turning to Gary, he said, see, I have taken away your sins and now I'm giving you these fine clothes. You see, if you read Zechariah 2, verse 8, I have to put my glasses back on. See, when I, it's amazing that when you take your glasses off, you just see a blur. You put them back on again. You see clearly. When you take your sin off and you, and you trust God, it's like putting a pair of glasses on because that's a blur. Without the glasses, I'm going to put the glasses on, I can see. Zechariah 2 verse 8 After a period of glory the Lord Almighty sent me against the nations who oppressed you for he said anyone who harms my most precious possession another uh, version another uh, version in the Bible would say that the apple of his eye see we're God's possession and he doesn't give up easy on us he certainly does not give up easy on us I was going to give the background of that scripture but I can't because I don't have time and, it, and there are other, other things that I want to say I'm going to share a little bit about my past and tie it in with this and then I'm, I'll conclude. I'll conclude. You see, I was born in Northern Ireland and from a young age, I always, I always, I was dominated by fear. In fact, I was dominated by fear up until one year ago. And fear's a horrible thing because it can make you do two things. It can either make you fight or flight. You can either stand up and fight against it or you can run like mad. And I run like mad all the time. My first experience when I was in school, I was, um, I was very loud. I came from a family, pretty, it was pretty functional, but there was a lot of dysfunctional stuff going on in it. And um, I didn't know how to act among my peers. So what I'd done when I was with my peers, I became quite loud and obnoxious and stuff like that. And people didn't like that. So in my second year of school, I was put out of the class for the umpteenth time. And while I was standing outside the class, it was in a mobile hut. The school was big. There was probably a thousand pupils at it. I was in second year. I was put out of the class by the teacher and a piece of paper come underneath the door. I thought, I wonder what, who's that for? It's maybe one of my mates laughing or sending me a wee note or something. I picked it up and I read it. And it said this, Gary McCormick is the class reject. Nobody is to speak to him. Nobody is to speak to him. And if you do, there'll be consequences. Now that went on for a number of years. That went on for a couple of years in school. How do you go home and say to your mother and father when they say to you, how was your... My mother and father never really asked me anyway, but I'm just using this. When you go home, maybe my father did sometimes, but my mother wasn't interested. Um, when you go home, how do you say to your mum or your dad when they say, how was your day at school today, son? Well, mum, I'm the class reject. Nobody speaks to me. You can't say that. You tell lies. You learn, you learn how to cope with a situation, even as a child, but you don't know who to talk to about it. I'm going to go on to another part. I could stand here and tell you all sorts of stuff that I get involved in. Anyway, I ended up in prison at, at first at the age of 14 and a half. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. 
I got a month and a remand home. And you know what? You see, when I got out after that month, I went and committed more crime, so I got back in again. Because it was it was so easy. I loved I loved my mother, but I didn't get her attention. And I wanted her attention. And see, when I done the negative stuff, then I got the attention. And that's how I found out to get attention from people. The first time I got arrested, she was brought to the police station. She had to sit in with me while I got interviewed. And I thought, yes, I've got her. I've got her. I can't get her in a positive way. I'll get her in a negative way. And see, when I was in jail, she sat in front of the table looking at me, and I looked at her, and I had her attention. And that was the beginning of my life. I always had a desire. I was brought up in a Catholic housing estate uh, as a Protestant. And sometimes we get the windows put in. Sometimes the house was painted. Sometimes we were bullied. I was chased home many nights, straight to the front door, in case I get my face kicked in. So I became very bitter against Catholic people. And um, I, inevitably in Northern Ireland, the troubles were pretty strong then. I joined, I joined a paramilitary organization called the UDA. And um, I was working my way up the ranks. Uh, but to see at the same time, I had fear, but it was never evil. And I wanted to be evil. I wanted to be evil. Because I had mates that would stamp all over your head, that would stamp. In fact, my best mate ended up getting 16 years for stamping over somebody's head and leaving them a vegetable. Two CID officers, they left a vegetable. Um, four of them. Four of my mates done that. And I would have been there that night if it hadn't have been the saving of getting a bad beating myself. I joined the UDA. Um, I was doing things for them. I was never active in any sort of guns or bombs or anything like that. It was all stupid stuff. It was childish stuff. And um, I fell out with them. And um, obviously, they have to, if you fall out with them, they have to learn you a lesson. I was in a card school one night, January 1987, and a knock came to the door. And uh, it was 9 o'clock, because I know I looked at the clock. And it went very quiet. There was 15 of us in the room. The guy who owned the house had two kids. His kids was always down the stairs. I never caught on that this is all set up. One of my mates set me up. The guy who owned the house set me up. They were supposed to be my friends. See, I'd become the class reject. And now my friends, I couldn't trust them. Where does trust come from? Uh, these four guys come into the living room and they asked for a Gary or a Barry. The guy who owned the house pointed straight at me. I'd have liked to have been Barry that night, but I was Gary. And uh, they took me out into the hall and they interrogated me. And, and it was a small hallway. You know, houses in Northern Ireland, they get small hallways. Four of them stood around me and, and they're telling me that my behaviour in the community has been ridiculous. What can I say? Uh, I'm, all I'm thinking about is I need to get away from here. My adrenaline's pumping. I need to get out of here. I couldn't go out the back because my mate had an Alsatian dog and it was vicious. It would have ate me. The only person that never ever bit was him. And, you know, it was a vicious dog. So the only option I had to do was to dive back in the living room. When I dived back in the living room, I gave him a chance to swing the baseball bat. He opened me up there, and he healed me on the mouth. That's, I've got a book out, and it's called Me and My Bleeding Mouth. I've had more stitches in my mouth than train tracks from here to London. And, that, and that's a God's honest truth. My wee girl fell the other day in uh, school and got four stitches in her lip. I think she's trying to catch up with me, but she's a lot of way to go, you know what I mean? But she was a brave wee soldier when she went to get the stitches. She was good, but they come into the living room. They bashed me over the head. He healed me on the mouth with his boot in my mouth. He put his hand in the gun. I never seen the gun. He said, if you don't move now, I'm going to blow your head off here. The guy who owned the house said, please don't shoot him here. I've just had a new carpet installed. Um, and that's, that's the truth. That's, that, that's, I was semi-conscious and I heard them words. But I let them put a balaclava over my head the wrong way round. The eyes were at the back. So I had eyes in the back of my head that night. It was like, I don't know if any users have ever been in rehab or worked in rehabs. There's a thing called the Johari window. And I can only see as far as my eyes go around like that. But that night I could see everything because they put eyes in the back of my head. That's just a joke. See the guy at wore the, bal- see the, guy at wore the balaclava? It was stinking, man. He never knew nothing about head and shoulder shampoo because it was absolutely manking. But anyway, I had to wear this balaclava for 40 minutes. They took me for a drive. And I was in the footwell of a car. Uh, two of them sat with their feet on me. They put all the baseball bats and whatever else they had in the boot. Two guys in the front. For 40 minutes, I was in the footwell of the car in the back. And they never spoke a word. Now, you don't know what's going to happen. Psychologically, that screwed my head up. Psychologically, that screwed my head up. Probably till last year. And that happened when I was 18 year old. 
Six months previous to that, I'd been stabbed in the throat by another UDA man who I was going to knock his pan in, and he decided, well, I'll, I'll just sink a pint glass in your face, and that's what he'd done. I got took to a dump on the outskirts of Belfast, and they battered me for 15 minutes. They battered my arms that much that I couldn't protect my legs no more. That was, that was my life at 18. I went on to attend prison as a faithful criminal. I got two and a half years, six months later, for throwing a petrol bomb, which I didn't throw. I ended up coming out. Um, I met a girl. I fell in love. I fell out of love, came to London, and I got a job in Canary Wharf. I started taking drugs, probably for the first time ever. That I'd never, I'd never taken drugs. It was speed. And I actually took it to keep me awake so I could work more and earn more money. But I was also mad into the drink. Because, see, the punishment beating. The punishment beating psychologically screwed me up. I couldn't trust anybody. It was finished. Life, for me, I didn't know, but life was over, really. Uh, I, ended up, I ended up getting two years in London uh, for a crime. And I went to a prison in the Isle of Wight back in 1990. It was a disciplinary prison. It was full of black men uh, who, who couldn't get on in normal prisons. And see, to be truthful, I was crapping myself going there. But you have to give it the big lolly, don't you? You know, think you're a hard man and all this. I was far from a hard man. I was a wee boy inside a man's body. I think I was the most unsuccessful boxer there ever was. I had 100 fights and I lost 100. So... I don't stand up here to try and be anything or any pretense. I just know what I've been set free from. I ended up in that prison and I went into a four-man cell with a guy from Bermondsey who I became really friendly with. He was a heroin addict, Leslie Hill. And uh, he went out on home leave and he came back and he brought from his rear end uh, a sixteenth of brown, which is heroin. He brought an ounce of uh, solid, which back then was slate, he brought two bags, uh, full bags of, of, of Valium and a bag of DF-118s. And we had a party. And his party lasted for three weeks. And my party lasted for I don't know how long. But I, didn't I tried heroin, but I didn't take it. Thank God that I never, ever went into it. But um, what happened was we run out of drugs. We run out of everything. So we, there was a guy in the prison called the Viking. And the reason why they called him a Viking, he used to do the weights. He was from Dover. He had blonde flowing hair. And he was building a tank up above, but he had wee legs like that there. And he thought he run the prison. He probably did. I wasn't really bothered whether he run it or no. But all I was bothered about was getting stoned. That's all I was, because I couldn't handle the jail sentence. And uh, we, got, we, got, um, we got three joints, bought three joints off him, done a line across. But I forgot no tobacco. So it cost me half an ounce and a half of a half ounce, if you understand what I mean. So I took some of the, 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 the half of the half ounce and fluffed it up and sent it over to him because I couldn't make a joint. What's the point of having three bits, of, three bits, well, it was a wee bit to make three joints and have no tobacco. It's a waste of time, isn't it? It's like having cornflakes and no milk. Um, I've, I've, that pretty, I've ate that out there, man. It was rotten. Wheat a bix without milk. Seeing you're starving and you're stuck on one of them cells. Wheat a bix is rotten, man. We water, we water. Adam's eel. Milk is always better, especially done in the microwave with a bit of sugar over it. But anyway, um, what happened was the guy thought, the guy, the guy, rightly so, said, You ripped me off. So he came round the next morning. He's the orderly. He's got the run of the, the wing. And, and uh, he came round and he says, I'm going to have you too. And I've done the worst thing that I've ever done in my life. I says to Leslie Hill, See if you smack him, I'll stab him. And as soon as I said it, I thought, What have I just said? So, Isle of Wight was a, a disciplinary prison. There's three prisons in that part of Isle of Wight. There's Parkhurst, Albany, and Camp Hill. And I was in Camp Hill. And it was an old, used to be an old army camp. Look at the time, man. It used to be an old army camp. And uh, I'm going I'm to go dead fast. So, I'm going to put, uh, what do you call it? Do you want Irish ears to understand and hear the fastness of the talking? <laughs> Lord, help them to listen. Help them to hear in Irish. But anyway... What happened was, long story short, um, I went out to murder him that morning. But the night before I prayed out to God, I said, Lord, see if you're real. Get me out of this situation. I wasn't going to lose face. And it's sad because I was doing two years. If I'd have stabbed him with this thing that I had, he wasn't going to survive. And I wasn't backing down. I was not backing down. Leslie Hill was going to smack him and I was going to stab him. He wouldn't have seen it coming. Any man can stab a man when you don't see it coming. 
But you know what? I prayed hard that night, even when I was stoned. And that guy didn't come out. And I don't think he was afraid. I just think that God answered the prayer. And that was the beginning of my journey. That was the total beginning of my journey. But I became a Christian. And, and there's a lot of things that I wanted to say this morning. And I've got way laid. And it always happens to me. It doesn't always happen to me when I share my testimony. This is the first time I've ever preached in my life. And, and I think, you know, it's an absolute privilege. It's an absolute privilege. The reason why I'm here is, on October, I have a burning desire to take a message out, to see men and women changed from addiction, from image, um, from religiosity. You know, I call it performance Christianity equals grace Christianity. Because I've lived all these things. There's one more I put down there. Fear. I've already talked about massive fear. Massive fear. I fear not to trust, trust the living God. Because he was the one who set me free. He was the one who, who, who gave me freedom from all of them things that I'm talking about. But anyway, I got out of that jail, right? I started to live the Christian life, but I lived it pathetically. You see, I had a low self-esteem, a low self-worth. When I first got out of Christian, when I first got out of prison... That guy never got murdered. I ended up becoming a Christian. I come out and I come to a halfway house in Preston. And I was there 18 months. And I drank. I slept around. I'd done all sorts of stuff. But you know what? I knew that God had touched my heart. But I couldn't let this go. This wouldn't leave me. Even though I was sleeping around, I was drinking, I was doing this. But I was living in self-condemnation. I was living in self-guilt. Zechariah 3 says, as we read earlier on, Satan was there at the angel's right hand accusing Gary of many things. He had a right to accuse me. I told him right. Because I lived my Christian life as a as a heathen, as a hypocrite, as I thought. I was in desperate pain inside. You know, I didn't know how to build relationships probably. I became institutionalized by the time by the time I was twenty two. And I started, I tried to break away from that and I couldn't do it. I'd done it. I ended up overcoming uh, institutionalism. But I never, I never overcome low self-esteem, low self-worth. I continued to live my Christian life from then, which was 1991, right up to, uh, where are we now, 2017, 2015. And I surrendered the drink on, on to God. And I'll tell you how that happened very quickly. I got married in 2000. I was 38 when I got married. Do you know, I was desperate to get married, desperate. I became a Christian back in that prison. I was about 23. And uh, I never got married. I never lived with a girl. I was always wanting that sort of thing. But you know what? See, God and his wisdom, God knew. God knew that I couldn't handle it. God knew that I was a shambles. But I didn't think I was. But God knew. And so I searched and I searched for a wife. I slept around. I went drinking. I got into relationships. I remember meeting a, 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 Christian, a, a Christian lady in, in Sweden. And man, I thought, God spoke to me and he said, this is the words that he says to me. He says this. See if you keep out of a sexual relationship from that girl, she'll be your wife. Because I was, I was in a room in Sweden and I really liked this girl and she really liked me, but we didn't know that each other, if you know what I mean. And I prayed out to God and God spoke to me from Proverbs 18. And when I say God spoke to me, he didn't say, hey, Gary. It wasn't like that. It, was an audible it wasn't an audible voice. It was something that resounded in my heart. Somebody asked me that question yesterday. That sounds a bit, this was non-Christians. That sounds a bit weird. God spoke to you. How does he speak to you? Like, a wife talks to her husband? No, it wasn't like that. And I had to learn, you know what? I have to learn how to change my communication of how I talk to people and that, and that spare even Christians. Because they'd think, God spoke to him. How come God doesn't he speak to me? God speaks in all sorts of ways. He speaks in circumstances. You know, like here this morning, that's a typical, that is a typical way God speaks to you. That woman said, there's a man here with a black coat on. She didn't say a man, a person. And what's, what, what's the title of my sermon? What's the title of my sermon? Anybody tell me. There you go. God speaks to you like that. All different ways God speaks to you. Anyway, I got more, you know, I, I, I'm going to leave it with a Swedish girl. I messed it up, big time. But I met my wife, right, as a backslidden Christian. She knew nothing about Christianity. Nothing about it. And, uh, but you know what? I want to say this today. I love my wife two bits.
But that hasn't always been the case. That hasn't always. I was a drinker for seven years in that marriage. I have. I came to the point where I wasn't invited to any parties or anything uh, because I made an absolute fool of myself. Our parents couldn't stand me from the point of view of what I'd done when I was drunk because I became a completely different person. I just became horrible. But you know why I became horrible? Because there was so much pain in here. You see, the drink was my medication. The drink, for you this morning, it might be, it might be drugs. It might be business. You might be hiding behind business. It might be your religion. For me, my medication was alcohol. What is your medication this morning? What is your medication this morning? It doesn't always have to be drug and drink. It could be pornography. You could be watching pornography. I'm a great Christian man. But you know what? Up in the roof space, you're watching an hour of pornography every night. I'm a great Christian man. I'm ripping somebody else off with my money. I'm a great Christian man. I'm having an affair. I'm sleeping with somebody else. My thoughts are polluted. Thinking of all our women. And I've got a wife at home. Do you hear what I'm saying? This isn't a game. This is... This, this, is, this is life and death. Life and death. I, uh, I married that girl, and I've got two young daughters, six and eight. I'm 48. I'll be 49 in March. And my first child came at 40. And it's fantastic now. But it wasn't always fantastic, as I said. I was a drunkard. I just, I manipulated everything. I'd become... A manipulator. It's easy to become a manipulator, you know. It's easy to become a manipulator. The question I want to ask again, are you a willing participant? Are you a willing participant this morning? What filthy garments do you need to take off in order to live a life as John 8.32 explains. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. It says in John 10.10, 10, The evil one come to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come to give you life and life in fullness. Are you allowing Satan to accuse you before the Lord this morning? Because you know what the Lord says. You know what the Lord says. You're his possession. You know what the Lord says. As he said, I'm on the wrong page. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, where Jerusalem rebukes you, says that to Satan. Let me tell you a story here this morning. And it's, and it's real. See, this morning I'm sitting telling Mark and Broman a story that happened to me when I was in drugs. I, I give up the drink and I thought, I've made a vow to God I'll not drink again. But I, I'd come to the place where I wanted to surrender. Not for my wife, my kids, or for anybody, but for me. So I went, I liked a bit of gambling too. I went to the bookies that week when I gave up a drink. And you know what? I couldn't feel but win. I couldn't feel but win. I'd never done that in my life before. I went and bought, I went and bought a bit of, a, a bit of green, which is strong marijuana. And I come home and I smoked it. And I'm telling Mark and Brom the situation, how God broke into my house that night. I'm stoned and there's things happening from the dark side. And I cried out to him, Lord, I repent, I repent, I meant it, I meant it. And he came down and the peace of God came in my house and things happened from, from, from the bright side. I was going to sing you a song from the bright side, but uh, I'll no bother. But... Um, Sometimes your thoughts, your thoughts get lost, but it's nice to be quiet, isn't it? It's nice to let that, let things just sink down in. As I re- recollect my thoughts, where I've got lost. <laughs> Take off the filthy clothes. Take off the sin. You know, when Satan accuses. He accuses, and he gets us into self-condemnation. And he gets us into 
guilt. I'm not good enough to be a Christian. See, when you read them words, Zechariah 3, it's amazing. We're God's possession. We're God's possession. I live that life now. I live that life, and I love it. I love it every morning. You know, the Bible says this. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, it says, it says, I lay before you today blessing and cursing. Choose what you may. Choose what you may. I have a choice. I choose this morning to get up and to praise the living God and to live in freedom. I can't say what I'm going to do tomorrow, but I'm doing this today. And I've done it for, for the last year. And you know what? I could never in my life stand up here with confidence and ability to do what I've done this morning if it wasn't for the true and the living God. Um, See, there's requirements. There is requirements. And one of the main requirements is trust. Who in here this morning can I trust? Because I'll tell you something now. I could never trust for 47, 46 and a half years. See, if God can help me to trust, he can help anybody to trust. You see, the things that we're looking at, fear, um, religiosity, performance Christianity. See, when I speak about performance Christianity, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you really? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because a lot of Christians live in performance. If I do this, God will love me more. God can't love you any more than this here. I'm going to finish with this. In Hosea chapter 1, verse 10. I had a revelation of this not so long ago. God's great, you know, and showing you things. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10. God tells Uzziah, you see, I said I'm not a theologian and I'm not, and I've no desire ever to be a theologian. But when I read the Old Testament, all I can ever see is this here. God loves the Israelites. They were his chosen people, right? And the Israelites went here, there, and everywhere, and they set up different gods. God always provided for them. But there come a time when God had to send prophets and minor prophets to rebuke the people and the communities. And Hosea was a minor prophet. And God says to him, I want you to marry a woman called Gomer. She's going to be unfaithful to you. You're going to have three kids to her. And she's going to be unfaithful. How would you think that? Like, See, if God said to you, I want you to marry a woman, but she's going to be unfaithful. How would you respond? Plus, she's going to have three kids, but you're not going to be the father of any of them. And the reason why God said that was to, to Hosea, in my understanding, if there's any theologians here have any, <laughs> want to come and see me after it, you better run. Because <laughs> I ain't arguing with you, I'm running first. But um, I was going to say something else. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for, for grace and mercy. But... Um, uh, Gomer married that woman, right? And the reason for it was this here. You see, the Israelites were unfaithful to God. And he'd done massive amounts for them. He'd fed them. He'd... See if you listen to that song, I'm no longer a child of fear. I'm a child of God. He opened up the seas for the Israelites. They took them right through. He fed them every day. He drowned at the Egyptians. He had drowned at them. They wouldn't let them after him. And they had so much clear clarity of God's love and grace. And that's why I love to say, man, I serve a God who is possessive of my soul and of my heart. And the thing is, in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 10, God says to Isaiah, do you know what? I'm prophet. I, 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 I'm speaking to you about stuff that, that needs to be changed. But I'm telling you something that's going to happen in the future. See, God, lots of people go and seek fortune tellers. They go and seek everything else to find the future. They read their stars. Pisces. What a load of cake. What a load of nonsense. It is. There's maybe people in here read their stars and believe it. I used to believe it. I used to read Pisces every new year and think, oh, brilliant, I'm going to get a woman this year. I'm going to get married. I'm going to get this. I never get none of it. It's a load of nonsense. So everybody in different places are seeking different things. Hosea, God says to Hosea, in Hosea 1, verse 10, 
you know what, Hosea? The Israelites one day will become so many that they'll be like the grains of the sand on the seashores in the world. And do you know what that means? You can never, well, unless you're some mighty something, I don't know, you can never count the grains of the sand on the seashore. God's telling Uzziah this long before Christ comes. In Psalm 139, verse 17, it says this, and, and John spoke these, along these words from Psalm 139 this morning, as this, the thoughts that I have for you. Are you listening to these words? Remember, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes straight to the point. The love that I have, or the thoughts that I have for you, are more than the grains of sand on the seashore. Only God can give you revelations like that. Listen, you're his possession. He's possessive of you. He knows what your heart's going through. He knows your pain. And tell, I'll tell you something now. He wants to set you free. I'm going to ask, if you believe that, if you believe that, raise your hand. If you believe it. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> I have a lot of people on my side here. <laughs> that's me. That's all I want to say this morning. But you know what? The other thing I want to say is this here, and I want to ask the leadership. I talked about four different areas here this morning. Fear, addictions, image, and performance Christianity. If it's possible, John and Mark, could we have a time of ministry perhaps? Could we pray for people? I'm standing here as a specimen who was busted. You've seen me at the beginning of the sermon. Man, I was breaking my heart. I was breaking my heart. And you know what? You see, when I gave up the drink, 15 months, I, I was in a black hole. I'm in a black hole, but I'd give, it, I'd give everything up to God. But yet, for 15 months, I was in a black hole. Where are you, God? I lost hope. I wanted to die. But I didn't have, I didn't have the wherewith to commit suicide. I wanted to. I had a wife down the stairs. I spent almost three months in my bed. How do you think I'm so thin? Nobody knows the pain that I went through. Nobody knows the pain that some people in this, maybe all the people in this room has went through. But you know what? There is one who, who does. Do you see the man who takes this, the spots off the, the, the leopard? He can also take your pain this morning. And one, one of the things, I'm going to totally finish with this because I see John chomping at the bit. Um, <laughs> sorry, John. I ain't going to finish with this. No, I'm finished. I'm finished. Um, 